Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka, and that is me. And today I'm coming to you a few days earlier than normal because I want to talk about some newsy stuff. That's Microsoft's attempt to buy Activision, the gaming giant, for some $70 billion. And the news part is that the FTC and the Biden administration are trying to stop that deal via a lawsuit. Big, big, high-stakes, big-tech M&A fight. To help us understand all of that and the broader gaming business as well is Jason Schreier from Bloomberg, who is really good, really sharp. You are going to enjoy this conversation. But first, a reminder, soon we're going to run our first-ever mailbag edition of this podcast. That means now is your chance to send me questions about anything. You pick, you're smart, you'll figure it out. You can send an email to me at peter at recode.net, or you can at me on Twitter. We will take it from there. We've got a ton of good questions already. You can always add more. You've got a little bit of time left. Okay, here's me and Jason Schreier. I'm here with Jason Schreier. covers video games for Bloomberg. In his spare time, he also writes books about the video game industry. And in his other spare time, he also hosts Triple Click, a podcast about video games. Welcome, Jason. Hello, Peter. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining me. I play video games from time to time. Um, what so video what games t- do you play? I play Fortnite. Okay, that's um, that's a good. Nothing to be ashamed about. It's a great game. Well, I'm, a, I'm a grown man. Uh, it's, it's for everybody. And I'm games a grown man who went from from my phone then to my kid's Switch and now to the Xbox. Once that's uh-huh, uh-huh. the court case. I actually, uh, I just the- met the people across the street from me. New new neighbors just moved in. Met the guy. I was chatting. Told him what I do for a living, and he was like, "Oh, I'm not much of a gamer, but I have played a hundred hours playing Zelda." I was like, "Fantastic! You're, Everyone's you're a, a gamer. big gamer." Yeah. So I, that's one of the things I wanted to accomplish here is sort of uh, talk about the gaming business broadly. Were you talking about the Activision, Microsoft antitrust lawsuit the federal government announced last week, and we've been sort of tracking for a year or so? And I want to talk about that suit. But first, I wanted to just sort of sketch out the games business for our listeners, because I think at this point, everyone sort of knows that games are really big. And sometimes they've heard they're bigger than than the than Hollywood, etc. And you can see the entertainment companies are always trying to sort of figure out how to be in games and they sort of walk away. And they all know it's important, but they don't really understand it. And I, and I wanted to have you sort of sketch that out for me. Before we start there, just big picture, were you surprised that, that the government is trying to sue to, to block this deal? Again, this is Microsoft buying Activision, um, one of the biggest game companies in the world, for $69 billion. They filed suit, or they announced they were going to file suit to stop it last week. Were you surprised? I was not surprised, and that's mainly because of the new commissioner of the FTC, Lena Khan, who has been kind of out there rattling her saber and saying she wants to take a tougher stance mm-hmm. on antitrust laws and regulations. So this feels like, and I've been saying this for a long time now, actually, this feels like the perfect opportunity for her to make an example out of one of these big tech mergers, because it happens to be the biggest tech merger, the biggest business acquisition since she took office as commissioner of the FTC. 
That is very well put. We can talk more about the, the the case and the particulars, but let's let's just start talking about the games industry. When Microsoft announced this deal last year, or I guess still this year, they said games are really big. Three billion people play them around the world. Sometimes I'll see estimates that peg the games business at $200 billion. And I think oftentimes when people are talking about games, they're still remembering if they're very old Atari cartridges or Nintendo cartridges or consoles. It's a broader group than that. What, when, when you are talking about gaming in the gaming business, what are you thinking about? It's funny. I feel like the gaming business, it's almost a misnomer. Like It feels inaccurate to talk about the gaming business because the gaming business could mean I just spent $500 on a PlayStation 5 and now I'm playing the $70 God of War game that just came out. Or it could mean that I just downloaded Candy Crush on my phone and I'm playing it on the subway like while wasting time on the way to work. So I, I think that the, the array of types of games is just so vast, so broad that that it almost it, it kind of feels silly to group them all together and talk about them as the gaming business. So like the answer here is sure, three billion people play games, but how many people are? What kinds of games are they playing? What what did that those look like? How much time are they spending with games? But yes, I mean gaming is now part of the cultural consciousness, and in fact, I mean this Activision Blizzard acquisition is a good example of that because what Microsoft is buying here is uh, what's kind of informally referred to within the company as ABK, which stands for Activision, Blizzard, and King. And there you have kind of three units of the same company, Activision, which is responsible for Call of Duty. So that's one slice of the gaming pie, the kind of mainstream annualized shooter game that many, many people play. The second of those units is Blizzard, which is responsible for Diablo and Overwatch and World of Warcraft. This is the company they acquired. Yes, this Activision is part of Activision. Yes, yes, yes. Now this is now another unit within Activision, um, and Blizzard is is uh, they're kind of the hard the slice of hardcore gamers, the gamers who play. I mean, if you're playing World of Warcraft, you're probably spending a lot of time in it. And then the third branch there, the K stands for King, which are the makers of Candy Crush. So in this same acquisition, you're getting the Call of Duty people, you're getting the World of Warcraft people, and you're getting the Candy Crush people. So kind of like a wide slice of every different type of gamer there is right in this one deal if you carve up activision's business what business is the most important to them sort of the call of duty 70 dollar uh, a year 70 dollar game business the is it the candy crush really casual business what what's the the primary engine there for activision so i believe that this is just off the top of my head so these numbers might not be 100% accurate but i believe the most recent numbers i saw of the revenue split were about half of revenue is the activision unit so that's call of duty and whatever other kind of bits and pieces they have along the way like crash bandicoot and stuff like that but mostly call of duty i believe about 30 to 35 percent is king is candy crush and then another 15 to 20 percent is blizzard stuff so in terms of the split i mean call of duty is super important Candy Crush is probably the most important because Microsoft doesn't really have a presence on mobile and they're after that for sure. And also, when you look at, uh, we're, this is just a revenue perspective, right? If you look at the costs that go into making these games, Call of Duty is very, very expensive to make. Candy Crush, very much less so. 
we're talking about a game that is kind of like a, a simple phone game versus blockbuster, AAA, pushing borders, pushing the, the, the boundaries of what graphics can do and gameplay can do with games. So we're talking about two different, two very different things. And if you look at, uh, uh, again, I don't have the numbers offhand, but if you look at the revenues versus um, the costs, uh, I'm guessing that Candy Crush is by far uh, the most profitable part of this deal, which is why I think I've talked to some experts who uh, believe that, that that Candy Crush, that the king part of the business is very important to Microsoft, if not the most important part. It's of really interesting because Candy Crush was a game that, that was very popular for a while, peaked. Um, the company that made it king, I believe it was either either went public or was going to go public. And you could sort of see the contours of that business with their filings, which is they'd made this game. It was no longer as popular as it once was, but it was a cash machine. Because even games that are no longer as popular as they once were still have lots of players, a very small percentage of them spend, the games are free, for at least for a game like Candy Crush, and the, 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 there's a hardcore group of people, they're the equivalent of, of whales at casinos, um, who spend a gazillion dollars, worrisomely, frankly. <laughs> Everyone seems to be, I, I know people have kind of sheepishly admitted to me that they spent 10 bucks in Candy Crush to try to like get if, through if, things if, faster. It's one thing to do it once, it's, if you looked at the filings, there are people playing, spending a lot of money every, uh, every and they uh-huh. were sort of the, the core of the customers. But I guess my bigger point is to underline the fact that Activision makes a variety of different games that work on different kinds of consoles, PCs, phones, etc. Is that the standard for the game business right now, that if you're making games, you're making stuff that's widely available on different platforms? It's what everyone wants to do, that's for sure. Um, so when it comes to the big game publishers, then yes, absolutely. That's what they are 100% trying to do. EA has been investing in mobile since 2010 or so. They have uh, Star Wars mobile games. They have a Simpsons mobile game that has been pretty lucrative for them. Take-Two, actually, which is another one of the big kind of four video game publishers, they actually just purchased Zynga, uh, the maker of Farmville, and that deal closed a little bit earlier this year. And that was entirely to get into mobile. And in fact, uh, they have suggested that one of the reasons they purchased Zynga was to get that expertise to bring their biggest franchises like Grand Theft Auto onto mobile platforms. So yeah, everybody's everybody's doing this. Ubisoft, they just did a big... Uh, Ubisoft's the other of the big four. So the big four here that I'm talking about are EA, Take-Two, Activision and Ubisoft. Ubisoft just had a big kind of summit for their biggest franchise, Assassin's Creed, and said, hey, here's the future of Assassin's Creed. One of their big announcements was a mobile game that they're making in conjunction with, I believe it was with NetEase, or maybe it was with Netflix or something, or it could be two different products, regardless. All of these publishers want their stuff to be consumed by as many people, as many places as possible. Yes, on mobile, 100%. In the same way that if, um, you know, HBO uh, wants everyone to be able to consume HBO, regardless of whether they're getting it from Apple or Amazon or their cable company, etc. So we're going to get to the the case, but but you hear a lot of discussion in the government's lawsuit uh, last week about exclusives and they seem to be really focused about Sony, which owns PlayStation, Microsoft owns the Xbox console. So can you explain how exclusives work in the gaming world and why they're important? 
Yeah, so for the hardware makers, which are Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo, it has been kind of an accepted part of the business and a true part of the business that in order to sell a video game console, you need software that can only run on that console. For example, you buy PlayStation right now, you can get Spider-Man and Horizon and God of War and a lot of these other games. And the gamers know that, and they know that they are specific games that they want to play that can only work on that device. Exactly. You can only play those on playstation right now if you want the new mario game if you want the the new zelda game you can only play those on nintendo hardware so exclusives have always been and this has been the case since video games first existed since since the 80s since the 90s um and in fact one of the original kind of console wars one of the original and in fact how sony got into the console business in the first place was with the playstation the original playstation in the mid 90s when they kind of took uh, some of the franchises that were exclusive to Nintendo, such as Final Fantasy, that was the big one, and brought them to PlayStation instead. So this has always been a part of the video game industry. Microsoft has now started pursuing its own strategy, but that's that's a separate thing. And yes, it is true that exclusives have always been a big a big component here. And and when Sony says that it was exclusive on the Spider Man game, is it is it Spider Man? Is it licensing? <laughs> is it paying? Is it paying a fee? Is it paying someone a ton of money to make that only for Sony, or does it own the developer? So it owns. Well, so Spider Man itself, I believe, is partially or, or all owned by Sony, but it also owns the developer. It actually purchased the developer, a company called Insomniac Games, a few years ago. Uh, so yes, and Sony has also built its own kind of cadre of. PlayStation Studios is what it calls, and they all make games that are uh, pretty much exclusively for PlayStation. I should say that they've also been releasing more and more of their games on PCs, on computers, um, but that's kind of uh, been an afterthought for them in recent years, and it's not like it's it's kind of a timing thing. So if you want a game, when it comes out, you have to get it on PlayStation, then maybe a year later, a year after that, it'll come to computers. So, so the, the way these Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo are able to have exclusive generally is that they own the developer that that makes it generally but there's also a long tradition of some of these companies paying outside developers to make their games exclusive Um, for example when the xbox 360 launched microsoft paid ea to make mass effect exclusive for that platform and there have been many other instances of that over the years and so again to to bring this back to sort of like a a a streaming parallel and you can buy a subscription to hbo for any device and any platform you can only watch white lotus on hbo and that's Mm -hmm. again the advantage that's what hbo is betting that you'll pay them to get hbo there Mm -hmm. so what is microsoft trying to do by buying activision which makes games for lots of different platforms and this is where we get into the 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 argument the government is making do they want to take games like call of duty and candy crush etc and lock them up for microsoft devices So there are a couple of different kind of uh, elements to this whole thing. So first of all, um, if you look at what Microsoft has done, Microsoft has been kind of pursuing a different strategy. So what happened was in the last console generation, the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One, and here the nomenclature can be a little confusing because Microsoft decided to name a console the Xbox One. But putting that aside, so PS4 against the Xbox, right? PS4 completely trounces the Xbox to the point where Microsoft 
Microsoft, which once was saying how many Xboxes it sold, had to stop saying it because the numbers were so embarrassing. Most estimates peg it that the PS4 outsold the Microsoft the Xbox by two to one. And that's um, gamers saying we like the games that are available on Sony. Exactly. I mean, there were some other missteps that Microsoft mm-hmm. made, but yes, and and the Xbox was a hundred dollars more expensive than the PlayStation for for its first year or so. But yes, that is what happened. Um, Microsoft, in response, I mean, they first of all tried to buy up a bunch of gaming companies. They have bought up a bunch of gaming companies and are trying to build out their own library of first party games. First party is kind of the industry term that refers to games developed and published by the company themselves. So in Microsoft's case, it's hey, we're gonna buy you we're going to put out a game it's going to be on our dime and we are going to reap all the rewards and then also we're also we're we're going to put it on xbox we're not going to put it on playstation so their most recent acquisition was zenimax or their most recent big acquisition was zenimax which is the the um better known to people as Bethesda. Uh, ZeniMax is kind of the the parent company of this company that has made Skyrim and Fallout and a lot of big popular games. And all those future games are coming only to Xbox and computers. They're not going to... That was like an $8 billion deal. Microsoft saying, we're going to spend $8 billion to beef up our product and to make it only our product. Exactly, exactly. So we have this kind of precedent now of Microsoft making a big acquisition and saying, you know what, you're not coming to PlayStation. And we've seen that happen a few times now. That said, Microsoft also has a different strategy because since they were trounced so hard, they said, you know what, we're going to kind of give up a little bit on the hardware. We're still going to pursue hardware, but we're going to care a little bit less about how many we sell because what we're going to do is we're going to pivot to subscription models. We're going to make the Netflix of gaming. And so they launched this service called Xbox Game Pass. You pay $10 a month or $15 a month, whatever tier you want to be on, and you get access to unlimited uh, are unlimited access to this selection of games, and it's a pretty good selection of games. It's not all the Several games, hundred. but it's but it's a lot. Not all the games, but a good selection of them. And it is essentially the Netflix of gaming. You pay and you get access to it. And Microsoft, what Microsoft did that was smart is Microsoft said, you know what? In addition to taking games that are mostly like older stuff, maybe like after Ubisoft puts out Assassin's Creed, maybe a few months later, or a couple years later, it'll come to this. In addition to that, we're going to put our games our first party games day one on Xbox Game Pass. So what you can do is you can either get the new, I don't know, Fable or the new Halo. Halo Infinite came out last year. You can either buy that for 70 bucks if you really want in the store or 60 bucks, whatever it was, or you can just pay $10 a month and get it as part of the subscription along with hundreds of other games. So they've built up a pretty strong business model with that. They, they have something like 20 million, 25 million, somewhere around there, uh, subscribers right now to Xbox Game Pass. So this is where you get into really interesting And, and they're, they're also saying this is stuff, I think it doesn't really work that well yet, but in theory, this is stuff that you can all, you don't have to even play it on a Microsoft device at this point. In like, theory, there's a cloud streaming aspect to this, which is something we can talk about in a little bit, because that's another kind of tier of this argument that the FTC is trying to make. It's another kind of... But they're saying, there. like, in theory... We don't even care about the console sales at this point. Exactly. Not only exactly. do we want to have streaming, but we don't even care if you play it on a competitor's device. Exactly. What they want is they want the same with, uh, I mean, Microsoft has always been a software as a service company, right? The same with Windows. We want you to keep paying your <laughs> monthly fee to be part of our ecosystem. And that's how we get you. We don't care about selling hardware anymore. So now you have this really, really interesting 
area where Microsoft is saying, and they've been saying for months now, even when this deal goes through, this Activision deals go through, we want to commit to putting uh, Call of Duty on PlayStation platforms. So we want to. They said, I believe they leaked that they wanted to offer a ten-year commitment They've, to put. Yeah, as this as this lawsuit was getting closer and closer to reality, the the stories about what Microsoft was pledging to do got louder and louder. Um, yep. But they've said from the get-go, like, of course we're going to have Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. For Sony and everyone else, we make a lot of money selling Call of Duty. If you need us to say that officially, fine, we'll say that. But absolutely, you, it's going to be available for PlayStation. I think they just said last week it's going to be available for Nintendo. Anyone who wants to play this can play it. Trust us, we're good. We, we don't. Does that argument make sense that it would be counterproductive for them to take a very popular game and make it? exclusive or could you see the logic and going it is a very popular game and if you want to play it next year you've got to buy an xbox or at least a game pass i could see it going either way but i do think i think they're being totally straightforward when they say hey we want to keep it on playstation i have no doubt that like even whenever whatever deals expire they will still want to keep it on playstation because that is where a large call of duty audience is but Here's the wrinkle, and this is an important piece of info that uh, I'm not sure how much, how like in depth the FTC is getting. I'm sure they're they're going to figure this out or get into this, but I haven't seen it brought up. So even if Microsoft said we will put Call of Duty on PlayStation forever, it will still be seventy dollars on PlayStation. And on Xbox, if you get Xbox Game Pass, you can essentially get it for ten dollars. Or if you're already a member, you're just get it. you're just downloading it you're not paying anything extra so you're you might have this situation where it's the equivalent of like having to go see something in theaters when it's available on your box at home for street like streaming like you might decide that okay you know what my friends play in playstation so i'll cough up the 70 bucks or i could just get everyone to move over and pay ten dollars a month and suddenly the xbox becomes a lot more viable as an ecosystem for call of duty and microsoft i believe is kind of gambling that more and more players will come over to their ecosystem and become members of Xbox Game Pass to play games like Call of Duty because that is the huge selling point here and that is one of the main reasons that Microsoft did this acquisition in the first place is because hey if we put Call of Duty every single year on launch day into our subscription service we will get so many new people coming in there because who wouldn't want to get Call of Duty the new Call of Duty every year for $10 a month Maybe you just play it for the next few months and and it's already paid for itself as opposed to $70 on PlayStation. And that's not a secret conspiracy. That's just sort of the business logic of why this is the business logic. This is the reality. And so, like, it's kind of been silly to watch everybody arguing over, like, oh, is it going to stay on PlayStation platforms? Will it? Will it? Will it not? Will it not? Um, Because it doesn't really matter. Like, the business case is just going to be so easy. Uh, and they're going to get so many people over. Yeah, but the reason it matters, right, is that people who are playing Call of Duty on a PlayStation aren't going to lose Call of Duty. And people who have a PlayStation and don't want to move over to Microsoft will have the same offer they've always had, which is if you want to buy the new game, it costs 60 bucks or now 70 bucks, and you can buy it or not buy it. They're not taking anything away from a customer, right? 100%. 
But if you look at kind of the long-term planning mm-hmm. approach here, it's very easy to imagine Microsoft trying to ease more and more people away from PlayStation and into their subscription service to the point where maybe in 10 years, maybe when whatever commitment ends, maybe financially it doesn't make as much sense to stay on PlayStation because maybe PlayStation has just lost a bunch of their Call of Duty users. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Jason Schreier, but first a word from a sponsor. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are an APY. APY can change at any time. And we're back. So when the FTC put out their press release last week announcing this deal, they mentioned, you know, I said, you know, they own Call of Duty, but they didn't spend time talking about Call of Duty and what's going to happen to Call of Duty. They spent a lot of time focused on what you mentioned before, the ZeniMax uh, Bethesda Mm -hmm. deal. And they had an argument that said Microsoft had promised not to make this stuff exclusive, but they reneged on that. And now they haven't. And there's a back and forth with Microsoft and they're saying, no, we didn't promise anything and i think yeah that microsoft is 100 percent correct there they did not promise that in fact i remember uh, i remember the day it happened i remember my colleague at bloomberg dina bass that was one of her first questions to phil spencer like what's going to happen here and he said we're going to deal with games on a case-by-case basis so it's a little in the weeds but also it is sort of what the ftc is focused on at least in in the way they're perceived why is this important to the ftc their version of the narrative that says microsoft had promised something and they can't be trusted and they're promised you know, the suggestion is it doesn't really matter what they say about Call of Duty. They're gonna they're gonna pull it back. Is that the crux of their argument that Microsoft is is a lying corporation and can't be trusted? <laughs> I mean, I have no doubt that Microsoft is a lying corporation, but in this case, the FTC is totally wrong. Like they never promised to keep things on PlayStation. That said, I mean, it does provide an interesting precedent because you look at a game like Starfield and I think Starfield is really the biggest game uh, of all of these that we're talking about here. Starfield is the next game from the same company that developed Skyrim and Fallout. Um, Massively, massively popular games. I think Skyrim has sold like 50 million copies at this point. It's one of the best-selling games ever. Um, So Starfield, the next game from this company, it's a brand new franchise, it's a whole new thing, uh, is not coming to PlayStation. And so that is essentially, I think Microsoft has already Argued. This isn't like an, uh, an existing franchise that we're taking away from PlayStation users, which is, is true, but they are taking away kind of the next game from this mega popular studio that traditionally has released their games on PlayStation and is not doing that with this new game. Um, that to me is really interesting and kind of reflective of how Microsoft does business because Microsoft is saying on one hand, like we want to put our games on as many platforms as possible and reach as many people as possible and then on the other hand saying actually not this time we're not going to do that here Um, and that to me strikes me as a kind of a poorly thought out business move um, and b a strategic error when it comes to trying to avoid this antitrust case because starfield is going to be one of the biggest games of next year Elder Scrolls 6, the next, the kind of sequel to Skyrim, is going to be one of the biggest games in 2030 or whatever comes out. And to say, we don't need to put those games on PlayStation or we don't want to put those games on PlayStation strikes me as a 
mistake for them from kind of like a, a, a the perspective of like showing the FTC or whoever else that they want to put their games on as many platforms as possible and they don't have anti-competitive tendencies or strategies in place here. I'm just going to keep bringing it back to, to streaming because I know that business much better. In the past, studios would make movies or television shows and license them to a network or put them in theaters. And then eventually they would show up in different places, different windows that was commonly accepted. That was going to how, how it was going to work. And we've been seeing this consolidation over the last few years where Netflix and now Disney and Warner are saying, the stuff that we make, we're going to put on our own platforms. And you know we'll figure out how to compensate people and they'll be an arm's length deal. But we're buying this stuff. We own this stuff. We want it to favor our services. And no one, consumers complain about that. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of legal challenges to that. Um, you told me before we started this, you're not an antitrust expert, but why why would this be considered different than the way an HBO or a Disney handles the stuff that they make buy own why is it a different concern for gaming or should well it be i mean concern? a more apt comparison might be that amazon buys netflix and then says you know what all that stuff that netflix made is mm -hmm. now amazon exclusive um i think that that uh or or maybe another apt comparison would be looking at something like roku which is more of a distribution distribution device that is also making its own content if roku said you know what we're gonna buy netflix and we're gonna put i don't think that's possible i think roku is smaller than netflix mm -hmm. but in this hypothetical world, Roku says, we're going to buy Netflix and put all Netflix stuff exclusive on Roku devices. I think that's where you get into interesting questions. And there's this question of like, I mean, in antitrust, they always talk about vertical versus horizontal mergers and horizontal mergers are the ones that are frowned upon and vertical mergers are more acceptable because vertical you're talking about like two two kind of like different areas of the pipeline like one is feeding into another as opposed to direct competitors um and this is an interesting case because xbox both kind of like roku xbox both makes the hardware for content and also makes the content and they've tried to kind of downplay their their market share from a content making perspective, which I also think is a fair point. Like they're not even one of the biggest. Like I believe it was. I believe the the number I heard was that like even if Microsoft bought Activision, they would still only be like the third or fourth biggest gaming company. So they wouldn't even be the biggest maker in the space. I think Tencent is like the biggest by far. But yeah, I I think that that from an antitrust point of view, I think that's what people are looking at is, is this going to be a horizontal merger or is this a vertical merger? And what does it mean? What, what kind of competition is this going to stamp out? Microsoft is very familiar with antitrust. Famously, in the 90s and 2000s, they were fighting the government, which wanted to break it up. Um, the government kind of won, kind of lost. Really, over the last six or seven years, Microsoft has been um, full of criticism for other big tech companies and has been quite public in their advice to Washington about how to regulate them. And the suggestion has always been, but you don't need to worry about us because we learned our lessons and we're not doing any of this. You mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, this is a, a Lena Khan uh, decision. She's running the FTC. She's Biden's FTC pick. They announced this deal in January 2020. Too, knowing that Lena Khan's FTC was going to rule on it, knowing that the Biden administration, or at least Lena Khan, was interested in reigning in big tech. Did you think they thought this deal would, would be a difficult one to get through and they wanted to try it anyway? Or do you think they thought this is kind of a slam dunk? 
I think they thought it was an extremely difficult one to get through and they wanted to try it anyway. You even look at the time frame that they gave. At the time, they said, we expect this to be closed, expect this deal to close by summer of 2023, a year and a half. I mean, mm-hmm. that alone is is such a long process that you know that they they expected some some hurdles along the way. But I think they saw it as worth it. I mean, Activision was in a weak position following a scandal, a big scandal last year, and Microsoft saw an opportunity to get Activision for what they saw as a pretty good deal. Um, Microsoft has spent the past five years, as I mentioned earlier, just gobbling up as many game companies as it can. It's been just buying and buying and buying in an attempt to bolster its its own game development capacities because it's really struggled to to release its own games and develop its own franchises over the past few years. So yeah, I mean, it makes total sense that they would do it and then uh, kind of, I don't know, uh, ask for forgiveness, not for permission from a <laughs> legal point of view. Like we said, Microsoft's been telling everyone who will listen that it's going to make Call of Duty available lots of places. Are there other concessions they can make that you think would help them get this deal over the hump? There are. I mean, again, I, I don't know exactly what the FTC is is looking at or what they're kind of trying to sort out here. Um, I don't, based on their the tenor of what they've been saying and also what Lena Khan has, has believed for years and years, I don't think there's any concession that would prevent that from going to a trial and going through a prolonged legal process because I think, like I said earlier, I think this is more of a kind of making an example out of this. This is a big of, tech company buying another big tech company it for is. $69 billion and it yeah. should be stopped really because it's just too big. Exactly, exactly. And so I think that's kind of the, uh, certainly Khan's belief and the FTC's belief. So I don't know that there are any concessions that would have stopped that. That said, if I were reviewing this, one of the concessions that I would be looking for is uh, not only allowing, and this is where you get into like, you really need some people who know the games industry running these things and looking at these things. And it can get a little dicey when you're, when they're, when they're not, when it's kind of like amateurs in this space. That said, I think that the, the thing to look at is not just, is this game going to be available on PlayStation platforms? It's also, can this will this game be available on other subscription services? Because if you look at the console space, like I said before, Microsoft is is well behind. They're pretty much in third place below, uh, right, like below PlayStation and below Nintendo when it comes to console market share. But in the subscription market share, they are the dominant players. I don't know the exact numbers. I don't think there are numbers of other subscription services, but Microsoft nothing even comes close to Xbox Game Pass when it comes to um, user base, when it comes to uh, the product they offer and the quality of the product they offer. Nothing nothing comes close. So what I would be looking for as far as concessions is Microsoft saying, hey, not only are we going to allow Call of Duty on PlayStation platforms, we are also going to allow Call of Duty on competing subscription services. So Sony has their own service, PlayStation Plus. We will allow Call of Duty on there too. That is what they would really need in order for this to be uh, something where where they're not just resting control of this massive franchise and putting it on their own platform only. 
the argument is we're t- if we think you're right, Microsoft. We think this is the future of gaming, these subscription services, and so we're not concerned about console market share, et cetera. Now we're looking ahead to the future. This is where antitrust. It's a whole brave new world because antitrust usually looks backwards and says this mm-hmm. deal was a problem, mm-hmm. saying this thing is going to be a problem down the line, even though it doesn't exist or it's nascent now, is pretty much untested uh, legally, and neither of one of us are. are are capable of, of, of figuring that out. I think the courts will be. Uh-huh. Uh, by the way, it is what um, the FTC is doing with Facebook. They're saying mm-hmm. you can't buy VR companies, even though that market doesn't really exist now, but we think it will. Yep. We think you're trying to leverage yourself into that. How important is this deal for Microsoft? If either the FTC says, nope, you can't do it, or they lose in, in court, um, or they just decide that it's just too much time, is if they can't get their hands on this, either because they walk away or they're forced to walk away, is it an existential problem for them or can they dust themselves off and go about business? No, I think they've got like a $1 trillion market cap. They'll be totally fine if their $69 million deal doesn't go through. No, they'll be fine. Xbox Game Pass is still dominant. Um, they don't really need this. I think it's more of a nice to have sort of thing from their business strategy point of view. It's always nice when a $69 billion deal is nice to have. Exactly. I mean, yeah, this is, we're talking about Microsoft. Like we're not talking about, it's so funny. It's like compared to most of these other game companies, like Microsoft is this massive, massive shark and all these other little game companies are just like little little minnows that that microsoft can swallow yeah no it it is not existential activision on the other hand i think it's a lot more important for them um especially from a kind of ground level employee perspective because a lot of them are banking on at least the people who stuck around after last year's whole controversy and big scandals involving misconduct and discrimination and sexual harassment. Um, I think that that those people on the ground level are banking that Activision's current CEO, Bobby Kotick, and his kind of C-suite will not be around anymore after the deal closes because a lot of those people have lost trust in the current administration to keep to to fix things to turn things around so um i think that if this deal did not close it would be a catastrophe for activision and they're in this interim period now where they have to act as if they're an independent company even though they're planning on selling themselves but that deal may not go through so that causes all kinds of problems mm-hmm. thank you for walking us through all of this super helpful can i just ask you a couple speed round questions about of course other game questions i've got hit me if this was a year ago or even nine months ago there'd be uh, i'd want to ask you what you thought about web 3 and games because <laughs> web 3 and games games were one of the big web 3 use cases you would hear about there was i would have told you a year ago or nine months ago it's a joke and everyone should get out now while they still can okay so you thought that then and and you re you're you're reaffirmed now has anything i mean you there were a ton of announcements about people building games for web 3 games on the blockchain and this was going to be one of the first things that people would get really excited about because in theory you could buy a, a special cloak on Fortnite and then go play bring it over to call of duty and wouldn't that be great is any of this come to pass or is any uh, that's not fair is <laughs> anything promising or interesting coming out of that space not a single thing. <laughs> you can find some. I was just trying to find some some reports I wrote about uh, <laughs> about how useless NFTs are. This is in December of last year. Actually, I wrote about uh, how uh, how much they were pissing people off 
In November of last year, I wrote an article, a newsletter titled Blockchain and Gaming is All the Rage for No Good Reason. And it's all about how usually trends like the video game industry has always been obsessed with trends, but usually they follow some sort of logic like, Mm -hmm. hey, Pokemon Go is really successful. Let's all try to do that. Or like, hey, World of Warcraft is successful. Let's all try to do that. Um, On and on and on. Blockchain just made no sense. There was no success case at all. There was no business case for it. People hated it. And there was just absolutely no reason for it. Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things about that is the gaming community itself was one of the players were some of the loudest people saying, we don't want any part of this. This is bullshit. We distrust you, the game. We distrust game developers. Oh, yeah. Well, they distrust game publishers, I would say. Um, Because the gaming industry has just a long history going all the way back to the arcade days of gaming companies trying to eke out as much money from players as possible and anytime a game has experimented with like real money exchange such as the most infamous example is diablo 3 from blizzard which had um brief for a brief period had an auction house where you could buy and trade items for real money and it was just a disaster it was a debacle it read it just ruined the integrity of the game um because who wants to play a game for fun when you're competing against other people who have bought things for and money? even though the web 3 people said no 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 you, you that's the whole thing this is gonna be the blockchain and you, you don't have to we're not you can't be screwed because it's all going to be out in the open the gamer said this looks like a duck and smells like a duck we don't want any part of it it's like it's hard to even fathom why so many people thought it was a good idea it's like one of those things where everyone is just like like ftx right everyone looks around and it's like oh well if he trusts this if if he believes in this then i should too even though there's nothing fundamentally <laughs> to hold on to here let me ask you about Netflix. Uh, Reed Hastings, their CEO, spoke a couple weeks ago, and every time he talked about what Netflix does, he said TV shows, movies, games. TV shows, mm-hmm. movies, games. Without prompting, games, games, games. Netflix has said they want it. They're in the games business right now. That means there's some free mobile. There's mobile games that Netflix subscribers can use, but they have to go download them from an app store. In theory, something else will come of this. Do you understand what Netflix is trying to pull off with games, and do you think they'll be successful? I don't know their overall strategy. I know they've bought some companies. They bought uh, a company, the company behind a game called Oxenfree, which is this kind of independent um, studio that that was uh, that does some interesting things, mm-hmm. some interesting narrative stuff. And they bought a couple others. And yes, like you said, they're investing in mobile stuff. They're doing licensing stuff. I'm not sure what their overall strategy is. I know they've hired some smart people. Yeah. Um, and they haven't said anything about NFTs or blockchain. So that no, alone no is NFTs. Like, I mean, what they're yeah. saying basically is they want to build what Apple uh, sells already called Apple Arcade, which is a mm-hmm. subscription service and you can get some free games. Which which hasn't been quite as successful as right. Apple hoped it would be. And And so if you talk to them about it quietly or off the record, I guess they'll say, well, you know, our hope is this is going to be like movies for us and we're going to buy... We're going to invest in people who know how to make these things. Hopefully, some of them will become very popular, just in the same way that we've made popular movies, to some degree. What I don't get there is, let's say they make the next Candy Crush, and it's something that's available to Netflix uh, users. Can you imagine a world where someone who doesn't have Netflix subscribes to Netflix so they can play that version of Candy Crush? It doesn't seem like the game business works that way. It's very strange. Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe they're looking to just like diversify their revenue and yeah. maybe they'll make money off of people just by selling a game in the app store and not ne- not even making you be a Netflix subscriber. Maybe they'll just say, hey, like just 
pay money for our microtransactions mm-hmm. within our game. But I don't know. Um, okay. I don't know what their long-term thinking is there. Last question. There is a long history of Hollywood trying to make movies and television shows based on video games. Most of them are not successful. There is one people are very excited about coming out early next year called The Last of Us, mm-hmm. which I believe is a Sony PlayStation exclusive. I've never played it. Yep. Um, and is now going to be what looks like a serious prestige TV show. Mm-hmm. Should non-gamers, people who have not played The Last of Us, be excited, interested in this new show? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I do want to push back against what you said, uh, though, a little bit, which is mm-hmm. that more recently, I think especially in TV, um, we've seen a lot more success in that world. We've seen The Witcher show on Netflix. We've seen like there's this one show, the animated show based on League of Legends that has people really buzzing. Um, so there has been a little bit of success, not not in the movie space, but at least mm-hmm. in the in the TV Fair series enough. space. Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting one. I, I played uh, I love the first Last of Us game. Game, but um, you take away the kind of the gameplay of it, and it's just like another zombie story, like post apocalyptic, like uh, uh, survival story. So I'm not sure. I've heard good things. I was out in LA last week. I was at the Game Awards, big video game show, and uh, was talking to some folks who had seen the show or worked on the show, and they were they were pretty pretty high on it. But I don't know. We'll see. Uh, certainly a good cast, Pedro Pascal and. Uh, What's her name? Bella Ramsey from Game of Thrones. Uh, I, so. I got screeners that I have not looked at yet. So okay. I will, when I do look at them, I won't I won't be spoiling it, but I will I think we'll be talking about it next year. JC Sriath, thank you for your time. Thanks for explaining all this. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Peter. Thanks again to Bloomberg's excellent Jason Schreier. Thanks to Travis and Jelani for producing and editing this show like they've done all year. We are in the home stretch. Thanks to our sponsors who let us bring you this show for free. And thanks to you guys, because you're awesome. This is Recode Media. We'll see you next week.